The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is the doctor. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod and you can see I'm here with one of my favorite, you're the other Good side. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, <laughs> I'm here with one of my favorite people on the face of the planet, Dr. Doreen Grampichet. She is a true expert in the field of autism. She's here with us for the next hour and she's going to be answering your questions. So let's talk about how you can submit your questions. We're live right now. It's Tuesday. And by the way, Dr. Dr. Doreen, uh, Ask Dr. Doreen has moved to Tuesday mornings. I hope you got the memo. Uh, so she'll be here with us every Tuesday morning. Uh, we're, we're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about a dozen other sites where you can catch us. Traven's going to start to show you those on the screen because I can't even remember them all anymore. Uh, the show will be podcast on all the places that you get your podcast. It's a free download, so check us out. We are so excited that once again, we are the number one rated autism podcast worldwide. We want to thank FeedBurner. We were the number one in 2021. And... We are once again the, the number one in 2022, uh, which is only a few days old, but we'll take it. Uh, <laughs> uh, thrilled to be bringing you guys this information. So here's how it works. You write in, in whatever platform that you want to. You can also write to me if you're watching us in podcast and you're like, Shannon, I don't know where to write in. Write to me, Shannon at autism-live.com and I will put your questions into the queue. Uh, but, um, if you're watching us live, you can be writing in right now. You can just say hello to Dr. Grampichet. We always love to say hello to all of you. And we, uh, we haven't been here with Dr. Grampichet for a couple of weeks because we took a little hiatus over the holidays. Hope that you guys had a lovely break too. Uh, of course we know that autism doesn't take a break. So, um, I'm sure that you guys have a lot of questions <laughs> and, and we have some questions that came in before. We also, um, you know, we do a regular, um, segment here on the show that's called ask an autism expert. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this whole show is that right. Ask an autism expert, but, um, we, we want to be, um, building up that library of videos for you guys. And since there is no better expert on the face of the planet than Dr. Grampy Shea, she's been working in this field for over 40 years years. I mean, come on. Uh, that doesn't even seem possible. And her skincare regimen is something that is a highly guarded secret, right? <laughs> but, um, but she's been working in this field and working with individuals all across the spectrum, whether it's very young children, even babies up through senior citizens. I would argue with you that there is no one who has brought a more compassionate eye. Uh, she's been at the forefront of looking at autism and individuals that are on the spectrum as individuals who have individual needs. She's been saying that, it, you know, that there is a medical component to this long before anybody else was. Um, and that it needs, I, one of her favorite quotes, I quote her all the time is she says, it has to be fair. 
Um, so I absolutely, absolutely love that about her. So she's an expert. You can be asking her questions. Um, and we do say though, on this show, the disclaimer is that there is no expert in any field that could give individual specific advice in this format. Um, so you'll write in your question, you'll be as specific as you can possibly be. And then she will tell you what she knows, which is often asking you to go back and answer more questions or ask an expert. Um, she'll tell you what to ask the expert who has eyes on the situation. So we absolutely love that about her, but I got sidetracked a little bit. We, um, we want to ask her a quick question for our Ask uh, an Autism Expert series. Our question, Dr. Grand Pichet, and the, and the thing on this is that we ask that you, you have to answer it in a short amount of time. Uh, obviously, you'll never get through the whole thing, but our Ask an Autism Expert question this morning. Did you have a question? Yeah. No, just before you do that, I just want to say good morning to I'm so sorry. I'm like a freight train. I get going. No, no, not at all. I'm pretty impressed actually because it's like five minutes straight of talking. So I'm very impressed. No, I just wanted to say good morning to everyone. I'm, I'm happy New Year to everyone because I think this is our first show back, right? From yeah. the New Year. And also, um, yeah, I'm happy to answer the question and good morning to all the folks who are writing in and we'll get to your questions in a minute as well. Yes. So our uh, Ask an Autism question this morning is, how can I get my child to show interest in something other than their limited interests? And I love that question because it starts with the concept of always recognizing that our children do have interests. And so those things that our kids are interested in are what we call reinforcers, right? Just like us, the things they want to do are the things that are rewarding to them. So first of all, consider their own interests as the powerhouse, as the reinforcer, the thing you're going to use to increase those other activities, and this is actually called, well, there's many different names for this, but essentially what you will do is you will introduce an activity that the child is not really interested in doing for a very short period of time, and you'll follow it with allowing them to do the activity they have interest in. So you're going to use their own interests as the reward, right? So, and you gradually will increase the period of time that you want them to engage in the thing they don't want to do and you'll still allow them to follow it with something they like to do this is the same as what we do in our own lives right for instance we will force ourselves to go to the gym and then after going to the gym we might like go and meet a friend and have coffee or something rewarding right so that's essentially what you do. You just have to, as Shannon said earlier, make sure it's fair. Always make sure that you're allowing the child to, to have some time in the thing that they are interested in as well. Because those are the things that often will develop into perhaps a career or something that you know they might want to expand on and learn more about. Wonderful. Thank you for that fabulous answer. And sorry, I don't ever get uh, give you an opportunity to even say hello. Uh, but uh, I'm thrilled. Everybody's writing in. I love this. We're saying good morning to MKH. 
Um, we're saying good morning to Syed. Uh, Mad, we're saying good morning to you as well. Shannon, uh, Nethrofthi, and Fateh. So thrilled to have all of you guys in the house. We're going to get to some of your questions in a second. But yesterday on our live Autism Live broadcast, we had a question about food, and I see that it's mirrored in some of the questions that other people are writing in this morning. The mm -hmm. question that Wendy asked yesterday is that her child eats only 10 things and won't eat anything else. And I said to her, okay, I, we will ask Dr. Grampichet about this, but I said, do me a favor, write in. I know she's going to ask, what are the 10 things he will eat? Mm -hmm. And I was very, <clears throat> she wrote right back. I was very interested in the 10 things that he will eat. Grilled cheese, peanut butter sandwich on brown bread, Nutella sandwich, banana bread, oh. a slice of apple, but not more than one slice of apple, hummus on non bread, but not by choice. Uh, ensure calorie plus milk and chocolate cake on a birthday only, uh, oh, mini drink, mini drinkable yogurts, uh, chicken soup, ramen noodles, and that's it. Okay. So that's a very interesting list. I can't wait. Yeah. And it's that. a, it's a, it's a fun one. <laughs> like this is a common thing that I, this is like one of the first questions that I get from parents when I start to work with kids. So, um, you know, so here's, I, I'm trying to answer this question without going into a massive lecture on how the gut works and all the things that we need. But let's, let's take a look at the list. And the list is probably not the, the items that we want. Like, so there's two concepts here. One is we want our child to eat a more varied diet. And, but that's one issue. And the other issue is the diet they have currently is not necessarily the diet we want. And that often happens because we're so nervous about our kids becoming pickier and narrowing their diet even further that we allow them to eat a whole bunch of stuff that we normally, uh, under other circumstances, wouldn't allow them, like a lot of sugar, for instance. So Let's not worry about the pickiness factor for a minute because, and I know that's hard. Like, I believe me, I know that's hard. And as a parent, we're always worried that the child may just not eat to the point that, you know, it becomes very unhealthy. So you want to keep an eye on that, obviously. And you want to make sure that you have regular checkups with your pediatrician and there's nothing else going on that is of concern. Okay. So we're done that. Now we're going to look at the current list of items and we're going to actually narrow it. It's the opposite of, of what you're thinking, but believe me, you're going to reduce it by taking away certain things. First thing I want you to take away is milk. Okay. And when you take away the milk, I'd like you to take it away for about three weeks and then see if that in itself doesn't broaden his diet. Because a lot of times when our kids are eating things that they're allergic to or have that cause inflammation, they will actually just crave that one item and they'll have a lot of it and then they won't eat anything else. I actually experienced this with my own son when he was little and milk was the culprit. And when I took milk away, his diet completely broadened. Like he just started eating regular food. But in your case, that might not be the case, but let's start with milk. And, and I don't want you to do this all at once either because you won't know which food is causing what kind of mischief. So that long list that Shannon read, 
check next to them the things that you consider to be good for him or not good for him, right? So you mentioned that you try to get him to eat hummus, for instance. Okay, that might be one that you want to keep. And there's gonna there there was so much stuff on there that needs to be eliminated. Pretty I would start with eliminating anything that has a ton of sugar, like Nutella, for instance, and all these other things that are chocolate, sugar, etc. A lot of times when our kids eat these foods, they really have no interest in eating anything else. I'm actually not worried about your child being picky from a gastrointestinal perspective, which that also happens. I'm a little bit leaning towards he's chosen all sweet things. Listen, if I could have my way, that would be my diet. I'll be honest. But so the way that you work it is you take that list, divide it and say, these are the things that are pretty decent or okay for him to eat. These are the things that are just packed with sugar and we're going to get rid of them. And you just literally, you get rid of them, right? And if it turns out that he just refuses now, he, he won't, he'll eat the other things that you have on the list. For instance, apple, he might actually begin to have more than one slice. Some of the other things you mentioned, and I don't remember, like certain types of nut butters might not be bad at all for him. Those types of things you might want, he will eat more of. If he doesn't, if you notice that he's just not eating anything at all, <clears throat> select one of the items from the bad list, one item, and you can use that temporarily as a reward. Not a lot of it, and it shouldn't be milk. It, I don't remember now all the items, Shannon, but perhaps you can help me pick one that is the least harmful there. Uh, you're on mute. It is milk. I milk. mean, a lot yeah. of it is milk because oh, a lot of cheese has milk. milk. Yeah, I yeah, see. The, the grilled cheese has milk. Um, yeah. Probably the peanut butter sandwich on brown brown bread doesn't have milk. Yeah, so um, maybe just maybe just peanut butter. But if you could, just to be safe, get some gluten free bread. That's very easy to do these days. You can get it at every supermarket. Just any kind of gluten-free bread. He won't really know the difference. In fact, in some cases, I, my daughter is fully gluten-free and sometimes I steal her bread because it tastes better. So, and it, and it toasts better. So if you, um, if you can like make that the reward, something that's healthy should be the reward. And now you're going to do a kind of shaping exercise, which means you'll have uh, the, the basic list and you'll add to it like 10 more things that you want him to eat, like vegetables, fruits, things that are healthy things, right? And you'll have a few things that are the rewarding items that are not necessarily, that are not bad for him. Like at this point, we need to really consider casein, so the protein in milk, and possibly gluten, the protein in whole grains, to not be on the good list. Those are not necessarily good for most of our kids, in fact, <clears throat> most of us at this point. So I would try to steer away from those things. There are fruits that are that children like because they're very sweet. Like ideally, you might enjoy some berries. You might enjoy pineapple. There are certain fruits that kids consider to be almost um, like a dessert. In fact, there are non-dairy uh, desserts as well that you could buy. For instance, you could buy him non-dairy 
uh, um, ice cream. So there are certain things that could enter the the whole diet and be classified as reward rewarding foods that you've not even experienced until now. So bring those in, have a nice array of four or five things that are rewarding. And then you gradually start introducing, just like the previous question, you give a little bit of food that he's not interested in. Let's say, um, you know, I don't know, a stalk of celery, whatever it might, with peanut butter on it, right? And you give him that and then you reward him with a, a, a decent amount of, let's say, the non-dairy ice cream. And now you will, next time, you're going to make it two stalks of celery or a stalk of celery and two slices of apple. And you gradually increase the foods that you want him to consume while you're always rewarding with a, a medium average size, size of some sort of reward. And then over time, what you do is you increase the things that you want him to eat and you gradually, very gradually decrease those desserts or those rewarding foods. And let's be honest, guys, that's what we do with our kids. I and mean, that's, that's just how we, how we do everything with food, right? If we all were let, allowed, we would all just eat massive amounts of, of dessert or whatever it is that we all like. But in this case, what you're doing is just regulating and you're shifting it. And a lot of times parents don't do this. You know how to do this. You just don't do it because you're scared that he will stop eating. I promise you. He will not stop eating. In fact, the reverse will happen. He will open up and start consuming other types of foods. Um, I'll tell you, my my son was about, I think, maybe two or three. He had just started writing phonetically, and it was he was drinking a massive amount of milk. And at this time, I was like, what is going on? He's an adult now. He's 23. So this is years and years ago. And I would look and I noticed that he had these dark rings around his eyes and all he ever wanted was milk. And I was like, you know what, we're going to get rid of milk and we're going to see what happens. And this is 23 years ago. We didn't have that many choices. Like the only other milk that was out there was soy. And if you were lucky, you could get a hold of almond milk, right? But it was very hard to get a hold of. Nowadays, there's everything. There's soy and rice. Oh yeah, in those days we had rice milk actually as well. But like you have almond, you have oats, you have so many options. Um, and so what I did is I replaced his milk with uh, initially soy and then I realized soy is not good for boys and then I switched it over to rice milk. And he started, <laughs> there was a period of time where he wasn't allowed to drink any milk at all and he really missed it. And But he had started to develop an appetite, and now he was eating other foods. And then when I gave him his first, uh, like, you know, introduction to rice milk, and I sweetened it a little bit with, I put a little bit of vanilla in there and made it taste good. And I gave it to him, and he just lost his mind that he's now allowed to drink a new milk. And he started making posters, which I've kept. And they were all over the house, and it was in phonetic, you know, little three-year-old writing the new milk everyone should try it so you know what i'm saying is basically you'll be surprised that how our kids their appetite changes they open up when you take away those things that are they are allergic to and not only that their their mind clears up i mean that's the more important aspect of these diets for me i've seen it over and over and over with our kids 
when you change their diet, take away the things that are, we say allergic, but they're causing them to be a little cloudy and so on, and they're, they're consuming large amounts of these things, they actually, it's almost like they wake up and they start learning a lot better and paying attention to things. And, and it's a whole different game. So don't be afraid of doing it. Just keep an eye on it and go with it. And right in, because I know this is one of those things where we get scared and we reverse ourselves. Yeah. And so many people are writing in so many things. I just want to say, um, too, you know, I, I, I want to jump on the bandwagon that my son is still... Um, gluten and dairy free. Um, and every once in a while we'll do a challenge and, and my son is 18, but, um, you know, when, when we took out gluten and dairy, and this is not true for everyone, but for him, we saw such a difference. His skin cleared up. He had terrible eczema, his skin cleared up and he started, he had been speaking, lost all of his language. And then he started adding five new words a day after we took out the, the dairy and, and the gluten. But I, for this mom, I, I, I'm sure that she's feeling a little bit panicked right now because to, as I look at the list of the 10 things that he will eat, when you take out dairy and you take out sugar, there's, there's literally nothing left. Yeah. Yeah. Except for the chicken soup with ramen noodles. And we have one mom who's writing in and saying, you know, that she's concerned because her child uh, gets anemia if, if she takes out food. So I want to make sure that everybody hears clearly what you said, that you're only, yeah. you're taking things out for just a period of time in order to increase them. But I, but I do want to say that there are now, because there are foods that are so much better that you can very sneakily change a couple of these things out for oh, something yeah. that's gluten and dairy free, and he won't even know the difference. That's so right. the grilled cheese you can do. There are many breads that are out there. And I will tell you, it is, it's the wild, wild west of gluten-free breads, because if what he likes is brown bread, which is, that's what it sounds like. There are different um, brands that might be better. Like there's a Canyon Bakehouse that makes some brown breads that are really soft and good. And they toast up really wonderfully. I don't know what Nikki likes. Do you know what brand? She oh likes? yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. If you go to grocery stores in the frozen section, which is kind of uh -huh. an interesting part, they have these incredible um, English muffins that are gluten-free. And I got to tell you guys, they're way better than regular English muffins. They're fantastic. Right. And they actually have several different types too. Like they'll have flavored ones and so on. So, but they're in the frozen section and they're okay. kind of near where Ezekiel bread is, you know? Okay. Which is another choice if they like Browser seeded breads, kinds yes. of things. Um, my son, we tend to, he likes, uh, when we make French toast in the morning, he really likes um, the brand Be Free. Mm -hmm. which is a brown bread um, and it makes really nice French toast. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but he really is loving right now the Trader Joe's gluten-free English muffins. Right. They're, they're very interesting and different. And of course, when we're making something that looks like a baguette or something like that, we like the Scar brand. If you like that white, mm -hmm. crusty, you know, artisanal bread, um, they make buns and things like that. Those you can usually get at Sprouts. But then when you get to the cheese, it's also, there are so many different alternatives. Yeah. We, yeah. we really like the chow cheese, but that is a, um, a, a, a tofu cheese. Um, and then there's also, Daya makes a full brand. 
but That's follow true. your heart. I think follow your heart. If you can get those, I'm not sure that they're available everywhere. They make a smoked, um, is it Munster that is just, uh, I think it's a smoked provolone actually that it's absolutely, um, it's like talking dirty to me. It's so, <laughs> it's so good. So, um, anyway, you can make that grilled cheese sandwich for him fairly easily and that he won't notice it. And for the banana bread, I, you know, I, I breads from Anna should sponsor the show for the number of times that I have said their banana bread and their pumpkin bread, which are, it's a mix but it's, it's gluten-free, it's nut-free, it's dairy-free, and it does have some honey, but it has no refined sugars in it, and it is the best thing. And for, for over a decade, I have been serving this to people and not telling them that it's gluten-free, and they go, this is the best banana bread I've ever had in my life. Honestly. Where did you get it? It's the breads from Anna. You almost ha always have to order directly from them, but they'll ship it to you. I buy it by the case and mm -hmm. give it as gifts because it's so good. So write that down. Oh no, I'm going to send some over to you um, for Nikki. I don't know why I didn't think to do that at Christmas time, but it's, it's really, it's, it's redonkulously good. You guys, it's just the best <laughs> thing ever. Um, we should do a whole show on breads for Anna. Um, uh, so anyway, th those are the two that jump out at me that I'm like, easy peasy. He will be able to do those. Um, and, but, and the thing but, is, Shannon, sorry to interrupt, but like I see Amanda's making coconut bliss. That's probably, you can add yes, things yes. to his diet, which I'm pretty sure he might, he will start to show interest in because like, you know, kids, like he, maybe he hasn't been exposed to some of these things. Yes, absolutely. And it is this weird sort of equation that when you take that thing out, when you take, cause this is all milk. And when you take that milk out, he's going to be able to taste other things. And yeah. if you doubt that, um, go, we talked about this uh, three weeks ago before the, we went on break. Uh, what is the, what is the documentary? Supersize me. Um, where, where a person who eats a good diet goes and eats just McDonald's for 30 days and you see the difference in him and he stops eating vegetables. He's like, I don't even want a vegetable anymore. Yeah. Um, because your, your palate, I, I don't know, it has some sort of effect upon you. And, Listen, you know, people used to come up to me in restaurants and they would watch my son eating vegetables, just shoving them in his mouth. And they would go, how is it that you do that? And, and I didn't know yeah. at the time it was because we weren't allowed, allowing him to eat sugar. We weren't allowing him to eat yeah. um, gluten and dairy. And so he would shove snow peas in his mouth like they were candy, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and so it, it does work. Obviously, Dr. Grampuchet is, is, you know, not telling you to starve a child. Let's be very clear. Yeah, that is not absolutely. what she's saying at all. Absolutely. Okay. And I'm honestly, I'm, I'm like, anemia takes a, a while to, to get there. But certainly, as I said, initially, you would want to make sure that you are talking to your pediatrician and letting them know that you're working on this. And if you ever get to a point, and there are many dietitians, by the way, that can help you. It's not something that happens overnight, right? I just want to say that it's like, just like anything else that's effective, like ABA, it takes, takes a while because you can't shock the child's system. Um, you know, I mean, it'll intrude in, in other aspects of his, his life. But so you want to do it gradually and you want to give it time. But I will say, you guys, in my mind, if there are two things that are the most effective things on how our kids 
uh, learn and thrive in life. One is ABA and the other one is the appropriate foods. Like if you can change what your child eats, that's probably one of the most powerful things you can do for your child and, and for ourselves at this point. I mean, you know, I am one of those people that I like to learn about what's going on in our in our environment. And everything I study and I read and I listen to has to do with the toxicity of our food and our environment and unfortunately our soil now where our food grow grows in that soil and all that. So you know, if you're doing this, look at it as a positive step. Don't look at it as a, I'm stuck because my child won't eat anything. Look at it as take control of it and say, you know what, I'm going to get my child on a majorly healthy diet this year. And this is my goal. And then go for it. There we go. I Can I just say, Mad, I love you and I want you to be my new best friend. She wrote in and said, my son is 13, but somehow I have been fighting the food selectivity battle for 113,574,576 years. Oh, yeah. Mad, I, I just love you. That cracked me up. Um, but I feel your pain, Mad. Um, but it's it, it feels counterintuitive, but winnowing some things out will make it possible for more things to be there. Uh, yeah. Evelyn has written in, go get, go Sorry, ahead. I just want to make another comment on this because, you know, there are different reasons that our kids become picky to begin with. The primary reason, according to all the science that's out there and all the studies over the years is just this fact that they, uh, crave the items that they are more allergic to, right? And then they eat those things and this causes inflammation and then it's that cycle we were just talking about. However, there are also other kids and us as well where there are other factors that are affecting what they eat. For instance, it could be an emotional thing, right? All of us, we have our emotional foods that we like stressful, you know, foods that have been associated with stress or whatever that we don't eat and things that, what, what is it called the term, like uh, foods that calm you down or make you, you know, relax or whatever. Comfort so, foods. Comfort foods, right? So we have all of that as well. And then the other thing with our kids, don't forget, our kids also have sensory issues. So as I've worked with a lot of kids who have uh, been picky now, this child that we were talking about, Shannon, I'm not worried because he has a, a broad array in terms of the texture of the food already. So I know that he doesn't have an issue with texture, but some of our kids do have an issue with texture. So they will only eat crunchy foods or they will only eat mushy foods. That's a completely different issue. And you do need to work on that as well because they do actually... In fact, not only do they get over that and do they learn to broaden and eat all kinds of different foods, but as they do that, the muscles inside the mouth develop and it also contributes to the development of speech. Because if you think about it, when you're chewing and uh, eating, your tongue is moving a lot. And when you're talking, your tongue is also moving a lot. So it helps that process. But I don't want to confuse our, our viewers because there are different issues. Now, I went straight to talking about broadening the diet for this particular child because as I listened to the existing diet, it was clear that texture is not an issue. 
We had bread in there, cracker, you know, all sorts of different textures, peanut butter, etc. So that was not an issue for this child. But for some kids, it is. And for some kids, it's also emotional aspects that interfere with this as well. And in fact, that's what they're writing it about. Bianca says it literally comes down to my son smelling a cracker, licking it, and knowing the difference in brand or type, like a, like a supersonic sense. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's the thing. You know, we often forget that our kids have a very, very heightened uh, ability when it comes to sensory uh, issues, much more so than any of us, right? So we have to remember those things. And Bianca also says that he, you know, is it's his loss of foods uh, seems to be based on experiences. For example, going through a divorce and being forced to stay with mm -hmm. his dad, who had never cared for him before, bad experience, lost five foods, uh, list his list his juice that we used to put his uh, vitamins into. So, yeah. I, you know, I, it, I, I find this so fascinating because just like for the holidays, we just went through the holidays and people pair pleasant experiences to food. And then, and then we just want the food. Like when we're a kid and we get, you know, this type of cake or whatever that grandma used to make for Christmas. And then we end up having that every Christmas, even when we know it's not good for us anymore because we've paired it with a pleasant experience. Yeah. Our yeah. kids can also pair a negative experience, correct? So true. And also Bianca's point makes me realize one other thing, which is very interesting, is routine. So another aspect for our kids is that routine. And, you know, sometimes you have a child where, you know, you'll give them a certain food and then you'll put their drink on the table right after or something like that. And you break that routine and that completely throws them off. So she's right. And I've seen that children will, uh, when they're in a newer environment, when there is a, an adult who doesn't know the child's routine, uh, you know, when the, there's an adult who perhaps doesn't know the child's preferences, those types of things absolutely can also interact with with what they're willing to do, including what they're willing to eat. But the main thing I want everybody to know is that these uh, food selectivity issues that you're talking about, they're individual and there's different types and different uh, responses for them. But this kind of stuff, although it moves slow, it's infinitely workable. We were saying yesterday on the show, Dr. Grampuchet, that one of the things I love about having done this show for 10 years is that we've seen people go through these interventions and get to the other side. So mm -hmm. I mentioned yesterday, do you remember in like the first year that we were doing the show, there was the strawberry mom and she mm -hmm. wrote it. We called her the strawberry mom because we, you know, we don't like to give out names. And she wrote it and said, how do I get my kid to eat a strawberry? Yeah. And, and it took like from beginning to end, it took, I don't know, three months, six months, but whatever. But it's hilarious to me now because that was 10 years ago. And now her kid eats the rainbow. Yeah. Um, and, and Johanny just wrote in and said, my kid just ate asparagus last night. Seriously, I would never have thought that that was possible before. So let's, let's count the wins and, and remember that this kind of thing can happen. Um, but slow, slow, but progress is available. This is, this is not like some, you know, there are some issues where it's like, oh, it's really hard to crack and, and, and whatever. And we're not sure why people do this or that or whatever. But it seems like the food selectivity thing you behaviorists really have a hold on. Oh, yeah. And it's and it's common, Shannon. And I got to tell you guys, like, 
you know, we've worked with, I have personally, and many of us have worked with children who were referred to us with a G-tube. So in other words, they had a gastro tube in their stomach because they had never eaten. And the child was now four. And we had to work with the child to get them to eat foods so that the physicians could remove the G-tube so that they could actually, which, which meant we had to get the child to, you know, go every step from opening their mouth, putting anything inside their mouth, um, and swallowing, which is a whole different thing, chewing, which is a whole different thing, and then broadening the diet. And we've done that successfully. And so it does take time. And it does take, uh, you have to make sure that it is highly rewarding. I mean, you know, one of the things we do with our kids is that when they are, we treat the foods that they don't want to eat like bitter medicine. That's what it's like for them, right? And we will reward them beyond anything. Like we'll turn on the TV and throw a party and all this sort of stuff. If they just take a morsel of that food and then they love that and we will gradually increase that. But it takes time. And it does it the the thing when you have a behavior analyst or you know someone experienced doing this, the difference is that they kind of do it, it's their job to do this. They have it on a organized schedule. It's kind of like working with a nutritionist, right? Like for me this morning, you know. I just came back to my home in Los Angeles and I was trying to like uh, my new year's resolution, you know, I was like, I'm going to do all organic this year. I'm going to completely change what we eat in the home. So I'm completely on board with you guys. Like I might, I'm going just a little bit further and I'm planning to do like farming in my backyard and going a little crazy here, but you know, that started with me throwing away a ton of food that was in the fridge. And it's hard. It's it's not an easy task, but you know what? I'm going to do my best and I'll keep reporting back to you guys. So if I can do it, you can do it for sure. Oh, sister, I've had to remove all salt from my diet in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and I, I, I would kill someone for a saltine. And I don't like saltines. Uh, it's hard, but I'm but I I'm finding that I'm enjoying different foods because I you know I have my palate is cleared of salt. It yeah. is a very interesting thing. Uh, I got to get to a couple of these questions. Although Shannon just wrote in and said, any advice for a child who will only eat one vegetable, and that vegetable is green beans. Good Lord. God, you know, thank you to your child for eating green beans. My I, I know, I'm like, celebrate that. Yeah, that's pretty good. So Shannon, it's the same idea, basically. If they're willing to eat green beans, and it might not be the, I mean, like, make sure that it's the green beans and not how the green beans are made. Sometimes we make our green beans with things that are sweet, and perhaps that's what it is. But regardless, again, as at the beginning of the show, we were talking about this as well. Classic, find the reinforcers, right, in their diet. What are the things that they like to eat and what are the things you'd like to increase? So let's say next you want to give them, I don't know, peas or carrots or perhaps broccoli or things that other kids might be eating and you want your child to eat. Well, give them a small amount of, let's say, carrots and then a larger amount of green beans and gradually you will reverse that, right? So then the 
amount of carrots will increase and it'll have a little bit of green beans on the side as well. So it's that sort of thing. But as I said, do it gradually. And um, I can tell you right off the bat, if your child's eating green beans, you're not, this is not going to be very hard because right. <laughs> you know, that's it's a good a, thing. That's a top vegetable to get kids to eat. It really is, but, um, but it's a good one. So I think celebrate that. Uh, we always loved at Disneyland, they make green beans at Disneyland that come, you know, when you go to certain restaurants and the green beans are so good there at Disneyland and they put just a small amount of diced red pepper in them. Ah. Um, and so that might be a thing to do to add some, and it's the, the red pepper is very sweet um, and it just gets tossed in at the end with the green beans. And my son always loved them. But so uh, that's a great pairing for, for green beans. And it makes it very festive looking, uh, the green and the red together. And it's sweet. So uh, a fun thing. All right. Getting to some of these other questions. Um, a lot of them have been food ones. But I want to get to Syed said, I'm a new immigrant single father with my eight-year-old son. I'm concerned. Will I be able to work full-time when I arrive in the States with my autistic son or only work during school time? Uh, that's a great logistical question about how it's going to work for him when he gets here, Dr. Grampichet. That is very tough. Yes, yeah, what I would suggest is it is entirely possible, but you have to do a few things. Um, you need to, first of all, for any child who is uh, who has autism, I would suggest that they would be receiving some applied behavior analysis, ABA. Perhaps they're uh, also in need of occupational therapy. Perhaps they're also in need of speech. So the first thing I would do, Sayed, is to get an evaluation and figure out exactly what your child needs. Because you come to the States and you're going to have access to these things. And the ideal way to make it, and some of our parents do this, is that they're at work and they arrange for transportation. That's the other sort of tricky part of it. But the child goes straight from school to an ABA clinic and then continues to receive therapy there. Many of the children come going to CARD, for instance, are coming straight from school. And they will receive therapy, um, let's say, from three until five, and then the parent is done with work, and they'll come and pick up the child. A lot of ABA is done center-based nowadays, so you absolutely have these possibilities. What you would have to do is get your school district to provide transportation, which a lot of school districts do, um, and just make sure that you have a reliable provider so that you don't have to worry about that. But it is possible. It's just a little harder. And, you know, it's to begin with, it's hard when you are a single parent of an autistic child, but uh, it's doable. You just kind of need to get other providers, professionals to partner with you and help. If you, and I don't know where in the U.S., I'm not sure if they said where they're moving, Shannon, no. but... You can also get from, you know, in the in California, it's called um, regional centers, but in other states, it's it's basically the Department of Developmental Services, and they provide what's called respite care. So these are like individuals that can potentially come to your house and um, help and just give you a break, and they're kind of like babysitters who, who are, you know, able to handle your child. So there are 
there are services. You just have to work a little bit at getting all those things uh, put together in a cohesive plan so that you have the time to go to work. There you go. Uh, it's rough. It's really, really rough. Oh, they're coming to Tampa, Florida. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, you're definitely going to find a lot of ABA providers in Tampa. So that's good. One of my favorite physicians lives in Tampa, uh, Dr. David Berger. So I don't know if your child has medical needs, but that's the doctor I recommend. Um, and in terms of uh, other services. There are a lot of services in Florida. They have a different, a slightly different system, but I'm certain you can gather some of those providers together and get, get transportation as well. There you go. Um, Eric had written in during the break and wanted to know, he's got a son who's a teenager who's both on the spectrum and has Down syndrome, and they want to get him off of the iPad. Uh, he, they got together with family and he was in his iPad the entire time. And so mom and dad would both like some tips on how to get him interested in, in, and involved in something else besides his iPad. Yeah. So uh, this is, you know, sometimes I wish I just knew the kids a little bit better because I have so many ideas, but it would be helpful to know them better. So you don't necessarily want him completely off the iPad, but to begin with, you want him off when there's a social gathering or you want him off and, and you want him instead to interact with someone. So we have to, you can't take an activity that's a preferred activity and replace it with void. It has to be replaced with something that is of equal uh, reinforcement value or that is tolerable because it's going to be followed by reinforcement. It's hard, It's kind of difficult to explain that, but it's kind of like if I am, let's say my favorite activity, let's say I'm getting a massage, right? And someone comes and says, um, or actually here's an example, my son, right? He, they're in their 20s and all they do, what they do at night, late at night is um, get online and game with their friends all over the country, right? All of his buddies are all over the country and they all kind of get together and, and do gaming for like an hour or so. Now, if I was to tell him you can't do this anymore, then what am I replacing it with? That's really important. So instead of saying, hey, you just can't do this anymore because I expect you to now come and socialize with us. And especially if it's a child who has already has difficulty with socialization, right? Which our kids on the spectrum do, obviously. So it would be a very hard thing to do. So instead of that, I define it, I would define it a little bit more. And I would say, for instance, at dinner time, nobody can game, nobody can get on their phones. At dinner time, we're going to talk with each other. And that's a short period of time, maybe 20 minutes, where we are all engaging with each other. And that's a doable task. It's something that is possible to be done. And then after dinner, you can everybody can go on their ways and check their phones, do whatever it is that they want to do and so on. But so I set specific time frames and I make sure that during the, the, the time frame is short, so it's tolerable, and that it is followed by something enjoyable, you know, that they choose, and that during that time they're occupied. So there's maybe a question and answer going on, or like, let's say if you want to practice this with your family, your social in the family setting, you know, each person should have one question of your son and he should respond. 
or each person can somehow interact, and then that's it. Whether it's three minutes or 10 minutes, doesn't matter. You start with what is tolerable and then you make it gradually increase it as long as there's some aspect of that that is enjoyable for him. Perhaps you as a family engage in a game, perhaps, you know, like a, an online game or some sort of activity that he finds enjoyable. Um, because let's face it, he, a lot of our kids have a difficult time with social activity and it's very difficult for them to interact with a group of people. Yeah, that makes it, sense. it totally makes sense. It's a hard thing. Um, you know, I, what I hear in, in, in some of the food things and with the behavior things is that it's so scary because I think what happens and what I remember when Jem was little is that you, all you want is like a level moment and a, a, a moment of normalcy. And yeah. so I think what happens a lot of times as parents is that we will kind of give in to the moment to just create some sort of a normal and breaking out of that when, we, when things are like eh, a little bit on an even keel, like at least he's got the iPad. So at least he's got that and we're not having, you know, challenging behavior and we're not having tantrums or at least he'll eat the green bean. Yep. So it's like, you know, it's not hit the panic button time, or at least he eats these 10 foods. And then it's so hard for us to have, it's really bravery, the bravery oh, yeah. to say, I'm going to try something new today. Oh. And it might cause, it might kick up, um, you know, some behavior and my child might be unhappy. And, but I, but we have to break out of this, the status quo, because we just admitted that the status quo isn't really working. It's a Band-Aid. Yeah, um, so absolutely. I'm giving everybody a hug, I guess, is what I, I'm I'm totally with you, Shannon. And you, you bring up a very, very important point. Because we're, as parents, you're often just, on, you know, sometimes when I used to also run card, you know, and I had my kids and they were growing up and all this sort of stuff. And I had started acts and I was just like, crazy busy all the time i would always say that you know the slightest thing could throw me off edge because my cup was already so full that i couldn't add one more thing to it right and that's often how parents feel they feel like oh dear god like it's just me it's where i'm on the verge i'm on the edge of, of survival right so now going to a parent and saying by the way Take this food away, and that means that your child's probably going to be screaming for the next two hours or tantruming or whatever it is. It's just unheard of. It's like, no, parents don't have the energy. We just are burnt out. And we're like, what? Are you kidding me? I'd rather receive the short term reward than the long deal with the long term reward, right? But it's the same concepts like we're talking about in ABA, which is we as parents do do these things because we're trying to avoid our kids being unhappy or our kids having tantrums or all this stuff, right? But which is why I always say get help first. Like build your team if you can and look at these things from as as projects, not long-term life things. Like just like when your kids are little and you want to do a potty training. I never tell you to do that alone. It's hard to do body training. It's two, three, maybe four days of intensive around the clock watching the child, right? I always tell people, get two other friends or two other people 
even hire them, like whatever it takes, bring them in and sit down and say, we're going to do this together over the next four days. When it's a food thing, get a couple of people who are going to be your team, just like, you know, like these are your supporters. These are the people who are going to come in when you need a break. Just think of all of that stuff. Take time to build that. It's, it's hard. It's incredibly hard. That's why providers of behavior analysis, ABA providers are so useful and helpful because they become that team. And they become the people that can help you teach these skills, right? It's super hard to do any of this on your own. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and speaking of that, I, I just want to say, though, uh, Evelyn has written in. And uh, Evelyn joined us back when she was studying to be an RBT. She joined for the jargon of the day, but stuck around, is mm -hmm. now a BCBA. Wonderful. Which just makes me so happy. And she said, I wanted to recognize the incredible work you do on providing a compassionate way to understand neuro neurodiversity and thank you. Um, and Evelyn, I'm right with you. That's why we named uh, Dr. Grant Boucher the Advocate of the Year um, for that uh, and other things. Um, so absolutely wonderful. Now, dad had written in to me a couple of days ago and I can't find the email, but um, he wrote in and said, that his three-year-old has been diagnosed and is getting ABA. And we need to remind ourselves and everyone here that when Dr. Grampuchet talks about getting ABA, she's talking about good quality ABA and mm -hmm. the right intensity. And that's mm -hmm. what this question was about. He said that his child was given a prescription of 30 hours a week, mm -hmm. but that the ABA provider was only able to provide 20, that they've started at 20, they've only been doing it for three weeks, and that he has already seen tremendous progress mm -hmm. um, for his child who had just turned, who has just turned three. Wonderful. And, um, but he said, but the 20, it's working so well. It seems like to me that we shouldn't even try for the 30. And I don't know where we would fit the 30 in because he takes a nap every day and our lives are very busy. Um, so he was saying, is 20 okay? I will tell you, Dr. Grampuchet, that I wrote back and said, uh, no, our, go back, kill the insurance for 40. And I'm sure he thinks I'm crazy. But I would like your opinion. Would you please weigh in? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll agree with you. And it's hard always when I haven't seen the child because some children learn at such a rapid pace that, you know, you never know, 20 might work for them. But if you want to be sure that it's going to be effective, if you want to have assurance that your child is going to catch up, then 20 is probably not enough. Then you want to look at 30 plus, even 40, as Shannon said. And the reason is there are so many, many, many things that the child has to catch up with. Because remember, the whole concept of ABA is not just to uh, teach the child to not use challenging behaviors to communicate. The number one thing that parents think is ABA is all about challenging behavior. It's really not. That's like the first six months um, where we teach the child your challenging behavior doesn't work anymore. But the rest of it is about, okay, so how to actually communicate. So it's all about skill teaching. And that is incredibly important. And there are so many, so many, many, many skills that a typical, let's say, four-year-old or five-year-old can do. 
that we got we have to teach so you look at your child who's three and perhaps they're functioning at like the level of let's say a one and a half year old which is typically what i when i start a three-year-old that's what i'm seeing so they have skills that are of the age level of about 18 months and now i need to teach them everything that they need to learn to to, to get to let's say a four-year-old level and i have a year because my child's three so now I have to do intensive teaching and hopefully by the time they're four, now they're functioning more like a two and a half, three-year-old. And by the time they're five, I've accelerated that. And I'm now, now they're functioning more like a four and a half-year-old. And by the time they're six, they're functioning like a six-year-old. So the goal is to catch up the mental age to the chronological age. And that's a lot of work. Lot of work. If I had, if I could show you guys skills, you know, and all the skills that we've written down, these are all the curriculum that we wrote for CARD. It's thousands of things that we have to teach a child, thousands, not just things like, you know, what is the color? What's the function? Those are very basic skills. A five year old knows how to lie, they know how to tell jokes, they know how to infer by looking at things in an environment. They're, they know how to join a group of people they don't know. They know how to, there's a million, they know how to repair a conversation. There's so much stuff. And so that's why it becomes very important to teach them. You know, I'll, I'll be honest, guys, the original studies that showed that ABA works were way more than 40 hours. It was, in fact, the, if you look at the original Lobos study, which was the first study that I participated in, which we published in 1987. It literally said all waking hours, never said 40 hours, said all waking hours. The reason that we were requesting 40 hours is because that was the time the parent was working. So our team was working, was doing 40 hours with the child and then the parent would come home and continue. And that's the whole concept of caregiver education and the fact that you need to be part of the team as well. But so, you know, to that parent, first of all, I want to say congrats, because that's the wonderful scenario that you always want is three-year-olds who are rapidly learning. That means all other obstacles are kind of out of the way. Now, let, don't prolong it. Just intensify it so that your child can get can be done with it by six, let's say. So um, I'm, a, I'm a big, big supporter of intensity, as I know you are, Shannon. Oh my goodness. Uh, so much, uh, for me, uh, you know, uh, we've been, we've been harping on this for years about make sure you're getting good quality ABA. And now I've realized we, I need to harp more on the intensity because somewhere a bunch of people got lost in that. I think because, yeah. um, a whole bunch of people sold a really good thing saying 20 is enough. And, uh, you know, I, I always say, show me the study that says that, show me the study that says that across the board. And yes, to your point, I'm sure that there is a three-year-old that maybe is exceptional and maybe 20 is enough, but that is not the norm. No, that is not the norm. And studies have not shown that. So always look, if you're going to, if you're going to go all in and why wouldn't you, why would you do anything half measure for your child? That's right. Why? Because 20 hours is hard to do. So if you're going to do 20, why not go all in, get what the, what research really shows works and be in a place where years later you sit back like I do and go, thank God 
That's Thank right. God that we did that. I don't know how I would live with myself right now if we didn't. So I'm going to get all emotional about that. And we're out of time. We can't be emotional now. So a uh, couple of quick things. Uh, just want to say thank you to Dr. Grampy Shea for being here with us. Thank Always you a pleasure. All of you. Loved, loved, loved this interaction with all of you. Make sure that you tune in every Tuesday to see Dr. Grampy Shea. Remember that tomorrow Autism Live is back. And our guest tomorrow, uh, Dr. Grampy Shea, is Justin Lee. So we're very excited and he's going to talk with us about an RBT training that uh, his organization has that we've been talking about here on the show. So if, if you're wanting to learn some of the things that we've been talking about, this is an opportunity for you to be able to, to learn that. Uh, so he'll be with us tomorrow. And then on Thursday for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, we have the amazing filmmaker, Vaina Tierro, is going to be with us and give us an update on her new documentary. She did the My Tierro Voice. Well, uh, the second documentary is about to be coming out and she'll update us. She's now gone into doing stand-up comedy. And she's hilarious. Uh, so, and got two boys on the spectrum. You're going to love her. Uh, so that's what's happening this week. But we'll be back tomorrow. Dr. Grambichet, thank you so much. Uh, what I say to everybody, we'll see you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye, everyone.